Hi, it's Ariana. Hi, it's Greg. As a listener to Climate One, we know you care about how climate disruption is affecting all of us now and into the future. I'm guessing you already do several things in the spirit of climate action. Here's another one. Giving a donation to us to continue bringing you shows about the causes and solutions to the climate crisis. You can do that at climateone.org slash donate. We offer all our podcasts and radio shows for free, but it takes time, effort, and resources to produce new episodes every week. When you give, you help us pay for the talented staff, equipment, and materials we need to make the show. And you'll join a group of other dedicated funders and community supporters who keep Climate One on the air. If you're inspired by the guests and conversations we curate, please consider making a gift today at climateone.org slash donate. Thank you for your support, and thanks for listening. Welcome to this podcast of Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton, founder of Climate One. Climate One brings together thought leaders from around the world to advance solutions to global warming. The Commonwealth Club is a nonprofit, nonpartisan forum open to the public. Join us online at commonwealthclub.org. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to today's program of the Commonwealth Club of California. I am Faith Palmer Person, a member of the club's Environment and Natural Resources member-led forum and the chair for today's program. It is my pleasure to introduce tonight's distinguished panel of winners from the 2007 California Clean Tech Open. Michael E. Murray, co-founder and president, Lucid Design Group, AMD Smart Power winner. Fatima Shirazi, founder Macrovi Biotech LLC, Environ Foundation and Ground Foes Air, Water and Waste winner. Patrick Freeberger, President, Build Fast. Google Green Building winner. Josh Bigelow, CEO, Synchromatics, Lexus Transportation winner. Tran Nguyen, CEO, One Solar Inc., PG&E, SCE and SDG&E Renewables winner. And Jim Sanfilippo, President, Nila Group Inc., PG&E, SCE, and SDG&E Energy Efficiency winner. Our moderator this evening is Wendy Tanaka, a senior technology writer at Forbes.com. She has covered business and technology issues for the past 15 years. Please join me in a warm welcome. Hi, welcome everyone. So I guess uh, we'll just start off with um, some general questions here, uh, since everybody's been introduced. Um, So my first question is, what was the market driver for building your company? Um, Might be a good idea to go all the way down the line, so maybe we can start at the very end with with Jim, I think. Well, the market driver for myself, uh, I come out of the industry of film and television, and that's our primary market right now for our lighting product. The driver came from blowing up mercury-based lights on set, which happens quite often, releasing a lot of mercury vapor. And I thought, there's got to be a better way. So that was really the market driver to get me into the market. Uh, everything that we've been doing since has been driving us forward, energy efficiency-wise and, and heat load-wise, all of those things that... that contribute to making us a more sustainable company. Um, I have always been interested in the uh, clean tech business. And so a few years back, uh, I had an idea for a cheaper way to make inverters. But this has been a slipper for a number of years until recently, where solar energy become very hard. And so we just jump on the bandwagon. And uh, also the fact is that there is a very severe need for long-life inverter. According to Sandia, inverters last about five years, 4.7, according to previous uh, reports. So there's a severe need for long-life and possibly lower-cost inverter. So the market right now is about $2 billion, growing at 50% a year. Prior to starting uh, Synchromatics, <clears throat> I worked in a university transit operation, and uh, I was on the technical side of things. And one thing we could never understand was why the bus service didn't serve the people as well as it could. And um, 
the more I looked at vehicle tracking technology, the more I realized it was underapplied with respect to um, optimizing efficiency of routes and that buses would be running around all day empty in certain places and, and completely full in other places and basically trying to put a plug in that gap and give the transit operators the right information to make decisions um, I thought would be a real market need in order to make public transit work better, cheaper, and greener. Hi, I'm Patrick Freeberger from Build Fast, and we build uh, durable houses for uh, the developing world. And what we notice, I think, is as the world continues to get warmer and as billions of people kind of will be added to in the next 20 years, there's going to be a tremendous need for uh, durable green buildings, not just in the U.S., but really worldwide. And that's where we're focused. Hi, my name is Fatima Shirazi. Prior to funding Macrovi Biotech, I was designing a lot of water treatment uh, solutions, um, uh, whether for water treatment or wastewater treatment. And something was always missing from, from the equation, and that was what was the end results of all these different designs of conventional treatments? We always forget about the waste that we are generating, impacting the environment. Um, we, we became part of this uh, vicious cycle of pollution by the name of removing pollutant from water. We added something to the water. Then we had to do something about the waste or waste stream. It was, it was that concept of finding better solution for treating water. And as you know, water is, is a very critical issue these days. Um, in, in 2004, um, with obtaining uh, U.S. Uh, funding, U.S. Uh, government funding, we were able to expand our R&D and, and truly create solutions that not only increase the productivity, reducing the waste, and has no impact. In fact, our solutions have no impact on the environment. This is really the, the, the driver for our company is the public de- demand and awareness, also industry demand. You perhaps know that over 90,000 industries are, are discharging trillions of gallons of wastewater. The wastewater we can basically treat, 90% of the wastewater we can treat, reuse, and, re- and recycle. And we all are talking about shortage of water. So I think the best solution for us um, to find a cleaner solution without any impact on the environment and use every resource that we have for the water. That was the concept that Bancrovi Biotech was built, and we continue to, to create new solutions for water and wastewater. Uh, good evening. Uh, my name is Michael Murray with uh, Lucid Design Group uh, in Oakland, California. Uh, Lucid is, uh, it might not be obvious from our name what exactly we do, and it usually takes a bit of explanation. We have a product called Building Dashboard for showing real-time energy and resource consumption uh, in buildings. And this is used to inspire and motivate uh, the average person in the built environment to conserve resources by, by changing their behavior. Uh, and we've, we, the question was about market drivers, and we actually, we actually got into this uh, into this backwards. Uh, we Originally, the, the idea for this, um, uh, creating this educational technology for, for con- uh, changing consumer behavior came uh, through some research that, uh, that I was involved with uh, at, at Oberlin College in Ohio to study the, the impact of information feedback on, on resource consumption in, in the built environment. And we actually found that there was a, a very high uh, potential savings that, that could be achieved in a, in a two-week competition period where um, students in all the dormitories at Oberlin College had uh, a, a competition to, to see who could save the most energy uh, with a real-time web-based uh, display. So you could look online and see uh, you know, how are your friends doing in the Fairchild building and how are your friends doing in the Harkness building and uh, I'm I'm doing better than than these guys. I have bragging rights and and so forth, and we we put this on on the information on the web to see what would happen, and we found that there was actually a very substantial savings. Uh, the highest winning dorm saved 56 percent of their electricity use during this period, and so we got started thinking, hey, this this sounds pretty interesting. Could we? exploit this effect uh, for the benefit of saving money and, and reducing emissions and so forth. Uh, and that's how we got uh, interested in, in this, and that's how we started um, 
searching for, uh, uh, for the market. And what we found is that there's, there's actually a tremendous market motivated uh, mostly by, by awareness and, and the need for information about resource consumption. So people want to have a dashboard of how much energy that they're using Similar to how a dashboard in the Toyota Prius shows you what your gas mileage is, we need something like that in buildings. It's about time we had something like that in buildings. Uh, and so that, that's how we got started. But it, it, originally we did not, if, if we were smarter and we uh, had gone to business school, we would have thought, oh, what does the market really want? How could we create something? And, and we weren't that smart. Um, we, we thought, gosh, this is a really neat idea. I really hope there's a business to be had here. And, and we've, we've gotten very lucky with that. So. Uh, do um, do most of you um, can you sell sort of directly to whoever your end users are, or do you also work with large companies in partnerships? How does that work for your companies? You want me to start again? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, this is Jim with me. <laughs> we do both. Um, we sell directly to our customers as they need it, but most of our customers actually don't buy our product. Our product is generally purchased by uh, rental companies, companies that rent to motion picture and television. So the end users, uh, right now we've, we've started shipping product at the beginning of the year. The, we've got 30 of our lights are now working on the new James Bond movie. And the 30 lights that they're using are being rented from a rental company in London called Panelux. Panelux is subrenting them from PRG in Los Angeles, who bought them from us. So um, <clears throat> it's not a straight line. We have some lights right now that are in Belize for an NBC shoot. The cameraman rented them straight from PRG. He wants to buy them, so he'll probably buy a set of lights uh, next month. So the owner-operators... Um, video cameramen who basically do a lot of uh, news type of uh, shooting will tend to buy their product f- straight from us. Uh, if it's a larger entity, a, a larger production, they're going to get it from a rental house who's going to buy it from us. So does that answer your question on the uh, supply side? Yes. Anyone else want to weigh in? Not everybody has to weigh in, but if, if you have something that's interesting, that's fine. For, for us, we're not really going after our end uh, person who's going to live in the house. We're really going after charity organizations or USAID, people who can afford to buy the house or buy the house kits to then give, give to the people who, can, who would live in them. So it's a bit indirect. Okay. As far as uh, Synchromax is concerned, we, uh, one of the questions you always get is, so, so who pays for this? <laughs> um, and it, the answer is the transit operators are the ones that pay the fees, but uh, a lot of times what what leads them to do it is um, demand from the ridership for uh, information about where the buses are in order to bring, because uh, uh, I'm sure a lot of you have seen the, the, the bus signs at the stops in San Francisco, and really the, the demand for our product starts with the ridership because, A, they want to know where the buses are, and B, they want them to work better. So um, After winning the CCTO Open, uh, we've been, we become fairly popular and so we receive a lot of inquiries from dealers, distributors, um, solar energy-related company. And uh, about um, a month ago, uh, there's the biggest uh, distributor in Southern California. Uh, he got interested, and our salesman negotiated um, uh, some, some deal with him. And so basically right now, we have a letter of intent for 60,000 inverters. And we also have uh, all the deals with uh, housing, uh, solar housing in Brazil and stuff like that. So right now we have our hands full. <laughs> Great. Um, and since you're all you know, fairly new companies, um, I wanted to ask about funding and, and how you uh, got off the ground and got started. So you know, I'd like to know um, what kind of funding you have for the company, if, you're, you know, if it's self-funded, if you got any venture financing. So we'll start with Jim. Yeah, funding. <clears throat> I, I started this company uh, basically to build a product for myself to use just in small instances and have been growing it slowly and digging deeper into my pocket. Um, we've been self-funded pretty much until 
about August last year where I got some friends and family to, to jump on. And right now we're looking to do an angel round of around a million dollars. After the CCTO Ceremony Award, we've been frequenting uh, San Hill Road almost every week. And sometimes, sometimes we have uh, three, four meetings a day. Um, and we were dealing with top-tier companies, uh, big names, you know, big, the biggest in the business. Uh, however, they are kind of slow. And right now, uh, we have four good uh, prospects. Uh, and uh, we believe that they will take on some serious term sheets in uh, the next few days. As a matter of fact, uh, our biggest distributor came to visit us, and he was so enthused about it that he's going to sell us, us to his... Um, partners. I guess to answer the question of funding, um, I have to kind of, when the company was started, basically uh, it was a collaboration between uh, what was essentially myself at the time and uh, UC San Diego, where I I had a connection to a former boss. And we originally built the system um, to serve UC San Diego, but then the the number of inquiries that came in pretty much overloaded us, and I started to realize that there was market elsewhere, but um, the size of the initial UCSD contract afforded us um, a substantial startup budget, um, which was sort of supplanted a little bit by by me. Um, and then uh, as it, we're, we're on a, a monthly service model, so we have recurring revenue, so we've, with the in-growth of new contracts and the, uh, the CCTO win, we we're profitable as of the first quarter of 08. So right now we're kind of sitting on the funding issue and trying to see how the first quarter goes before we uh, decide whether we want to go the funding route or not. But we haven't taken any outside funding yet. Uh, for BuildFast, we're self-funded right now, and we're, gonna, we're not really actively looking for funding until we get a little further, get to a beta stage, get some houses up, show people how it works, and really kind of develop some value. And then from there, um, look, at, look at getting some funding. For us, prior to funding Microbiotech, I obtained about half a million dollar funding from U.S. government, from National Institute of Health and National Science Foundation. Then in 2004, I started the company with an additional half a million dollar, again, from National Science Foundation. Just recently, in November, we received close to a million dollar from National Institute of Health. It is so important for uh, for the industry to understand that it is not just a problem for one um, agency um, in, in U.S. government. It's not only basic research. Everyone is concerned about shortage of water. We are seeing a lot of attention coming from National Institute of Health. We always think this is medicine, this is pharmaceutical. Right now, everyone is concerned about lack of clean water, lack of clean solutions for water. So, and, and just recently we found out that two additional proposals that we've sent to uh, EPA uh, were also shortlisted. These are for drinking water applications for major pollutant uh, in U.S. One of them is the rocket fuel additive, and another one is 1,4-dioxin, cancer-causing chemical that has ended up in our drinking water supply, um, which is really groundwater. Um, and... Um, after the clean tech and also the, after the presentation I made in May of 2007, we are receiving a lot of attention from investors, and we are in discussion with investors. Uh, beyond capital, what we are looking in, in a potential investor is truly understand the clean tech industry in addition to the water space. Um, we are a company that um, our solutions is, is really, are really a multidisciplinary. It's advances in biotechnology, advances in microbiology, advances in manufacturing and engineering. That's us. We have combined all these advances and, and come up with solutions that are better than uh, current um, practices in water. Uh, regarding funding, I, I guess I have three words. Uh, fools, friends, and family. Um, <laughs> It's funding is hard. Um, it's it's a difficult thing. We our company started almost four years ago, uh, and you know we were working two jobs. We you know we we were very busy with lots of other things, um, and it, it's only been you know in the last year and a half that um, you know things have really have really taken off. So 
for small businesses, it's it's really uh, it's really difficult. Um, we you know we we are very fortunate to have uh, you know family members who are who are supportive and and to get us to where we are. And uh, the the fifty thousand dollar check from the Clean Tech Open, uh, I won't lie, that was that was really helpful. Um, it's 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 difficult to um, to get through that that first step and. Uh, there, there's some resources that, that we've looked into that we haven't utilized. Uh, so if, if anyone else is out there, you know, interested in, in, in funding sources, uh, there there's some potentials through um, uh, SBIR grants with uh, uh, the the federal government. There's many different agencies that that uh, that give out those grants, and um, we we looked at those, but ended up ended up not uh, not doing it. And you know, we put in a lot of uh, a lot of long nights and and um, you know, credit card expenses and that sort of thing to get going. So um, it's it's hard, but but we're at a place where uh, where we're you know uh, seeking um, expansion capital right now to to add to our staff, and we have a lot of uh, we've been able to accomplish a lot in terms of product development um, already. So a lot of that is behind us. Um, we are a software company, and that that has uh, a big advantage. Uh, you know, we could do a lot of it ourselves. We weren't. You didn't need to invest a million dollars in in equipment and supplies and infrastructure in order to make the product. Um, so we, it's it's a web-based software product. So um, it's a bit more like you know an internet um, type of business in in the '90s in terms of uh, you know very minimal capital uh, requirements. Okay, thank you. Uh, we've received a lot of questions from the audience already, and um, many of them do actually have to do with um, with funding and um, you know attracting uh, investors, whether they're venture or otherwise. And um, you know, and I, and so I'm, I'm sort of wondering if you have any tips, those of you that have, like you know, Fatima received money through grants, government grants primarily. You know, how do you attract investors when you need them? Outside investors or U.S. government? Um, well, I think primarily outside investors. I think you have to have a message, and you have to have a technology. Um, without, I mean, I, I think of myself that over the last five, ten years, I had to focus on one thing, and that was finding solution for cleaner um, water. Um, there are many things all the times. There are many, at least in our case, we had many different interesting areas for R&D. But I think the key for us was to focus what is the immediate need and really um, employ our resources to do additional um, R&D and, and show the results. Um, I, I remember that I have worked uh, in the laboratory for almost continuously in, in about three years to find um, better chemical formulations for our system. Um, I worked with in, a number of industry leaders who have spent uh, a lot of time in the industry. They understand the pain. They understand the problem. And focusing on solutions. Uh, for us, um, just writing a proposal um, and, and competing with maybe, I don't know, every time 25,000 proposal. If you don't have a message, if you don't have a technology that is based on scientific uh, um, um, scientific uh, phenomena or fundamentals, you will never get any funding from U.S. government. They see day in, day out, they see thousands of proposals. And what actually worked for us was to spend the little money that we had just try to fund the small little projects, get results, show preliminary results to U.S. government so they can see that this technology, whatever technology that is, has a future. You can basically bring that technology to the market uh, with preliminary results and also your team. Your team is quite important. Everyone should, should, should understand that it's not one-person jobs. You have to, especially in our case, we had multidisciplinary. We had microbiologists. We had engineers. Uh, myself, I'm by background, I'm a chemical engineer, but my focus has always been in civil and environmental engineering, focusing on water. So I think um, if, you want, if you are targeting to get U.S. 
funding from various agencies. You need to be updated in terms of what is happening in the, in the research, what is the latest research, and really to work toward uh, a goal of bringing a new technology to the market. And they understand that. A lot of times, strategic partnership, discussions that we had, these really were very helpful. I remember for, for the last proposal that we sent for uh, NIH, in fact, we had seven outside uh, endorsement letters. They saw the results of our technology. They supported us. These are giving um, a peace of mind to government that if we spend our money in this technology or in this company, it's going to go somewhere because they are going to find a way to bring that technology to the market. I think that's very, very crucial. In terms of investor outside, outside investors, again, the same thing. If it's just an idea and you need to work on that idea, um, investors don't like that. They, they don't like to spend money for just pure R&D. You need to take the technology to the next step, show results, bring customer, uh, bring potential uh, strategic partners. They, they are the same as U.S. government. They just don't want to invest their money somewhere that you, you just spend their money to do R&D. Um, so um, focus um, and really uh, spending your time and, and your energy and your money towards a, a, a technology that has a market and demand. Anyone else want to go ahead, uh, Mike? Just, just a quick comment. I think that far and away the best way to get investors interested in your company is to enter the California Clean Tech Open. Uh, it's, it's hard to do it otherwise, and, and I think everyone here is, uh, would agree that um, it, it, it puts you on the map. Uh, and it's, it's a difficult uh, competition to, to be a part of, but uh, I, you know, I'm really thankful and really applaud uh, all the efforts and volunteers from the California Clean Tech Open to, um, to make this possible because there's, there's a lot of small companies with really great ideas that just don't quite get the light of day. Uh, and so it's, it's been a great, uh, great experience. I am, I'm sure other people would, would agree. Um, having talked to so many VCs, I would like to share my experience. In a nutshell, VCs, they are after return for their money by minimizing their risk. They are mostly risk managers. And so you have to bring your product uh, as close to the market as possible. Then they put the money down to go into production for you. Uh, for example, in the area of uh, inverter, very few VCs understand power electronics. So I have talked to probably 10, 15 PhDs and you know, money VCs. They do not understand the technology. Uh, Siemens did, but they didn't want to invest too much money into us because they invest strictly as angel round, you know, less than a million dollars. So uh, the trick is to find a very big market and have a product, then you get it made. <laughs> I think I'd have to echo uh, the comments of Fatima especially, and I think the entire panel is that um, when I started the business, I, I wasn't thinking uh, of how to attract investors. I was more thinking of how do I make the customers want this and how do I serve the market? And I think that if you concentrate on building first and delivering and establish um, a record of being a consistent deliverer with happy customers across the board, that investors take notice of that fairly quickly. I would definitely concur on that, on that side of things. Um, we really didn't get any kind of traction with any kind of investor even, you know, like return phone call sort of thing, uh, until the validation of the clean tech open. Um, we got general interest. Oh, that's nice. You know, um, but what really cemented it for him, uh, the validation of the clean tech open helped. Two weeks later, uh, I was in London doing the demonstration for the bond project. Coming home from that trip, having an order gives instant validation, and the investors go, Oh, you have a customer? Hmm. You know, because they don't understand your market, and they don't have to. You have to make them understand it, and they understand it by one thing: how is the cash flow? <laughs> you know, they're following the money, and it's that simple. And so, now with uh, customers in hand, we think we'll be able to attract um, 
you know, decent amount of funding to really ramp up production. Okay, thank you. Well, this is interesting because it it goes against um, uh, sort of all the news reports about you know how investing in clean tech is so hot, and you know that's a you know the dollars uh, committed to clean tech are growing more than you know or growing faster than some other sectors, even though I think the total investment is smaller. You know, but I'm hearing that it's it's really hard to attract the dollars, and is it? Um, you know, is it because the investors still need to sort of know you somehow, or is it just more difficult to invest in clean tech uh, as opposed to, you know, just, I don't know, a social network or something? I don't, I don't think they differentiate between clean tech or any kind of tech. Um, investors invest in a, a company because they think they're going to make their money back, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and get 10, 20 times the return on their investment. Um, I think that the the boom in clean tech investing has less to do with the actual clean tech technology being, um, you know, sort of a hot topic and more uh, ripe for the marketplace. There's clearly a need, and there's a demand, and so uh, they're they're filling it. Um, these are all, you know, my technology isn't fabulous. I mean, and it's old. Uh, LED technology has been around for 25 years. You know, we're not doing anything spectacular with it. We're just packaging it in a very unique way and bringing it to a market that, that hasn't, has been underserved by it. So you know, somebody did the research 20 years ago, and that's, you know, they did the hard work, and now we're benefiting from it, and the you know, VCs are going to step in and... They're going to do the least amount of work, and they're going to benefit the most. <laughs> I, I think that uh, clean tech investing, first of all, is somewhat new. I mean, it's it's not that new, but I think it's it's somewhat of a new new frontier for some VCs. And I think you have VCs that put their stake in the ground and say that they do want to invest in clean tech. But what it boils down to is, at least in my experience, a VC doesn't even want to talk to you if he doesn't know someone who, know, who, quote, knows your industry or your product and, and can vouch for it. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a comfort level because, uh, as he said earlier, VCs are risk managers, and clean tech is, is somewhat of an unknown space for them, whereas something like a social network, I mean, everybody knows what Facebook was valued at. So, you know, like they, they tend to bet on they, – they try and ride waves, but it, it's, it's kind of a risky game of uh, balancing between riding a wave that's already there and finding your own new wave. So I think that clean tech is starting to establish its own wave, but we haven't really had a Google of clean tech burst out of the scene yet that's going to start making the VCs throw their checks into the pool. I was just going to add that a lot of times the first Internet boom, they were, they were valuing on eyeball counts and all sorts of obscure numbers because they couldn't figure out how to value the Internet when it started. But in clean tech, they're valuing your solar panel based on the dollars per kilowatt hour of coal or of something else. Or my house, what's the value of a, of a, of a, of a non-greenhouse? So it's, it's, you're really competing against real-world stuff, so it's a lot harder to show you know, where you, how you differentiate yourself, how you fit in, versus the, the original Internet boom. So it's definitely harder, I think, to get money. One of our possible backers, they have the foresight because they, they have a lot of oil, but they know that oil doesn't last forever. So they put something like $15 billion into solar energy. And we may be one of their recipients. Okay, great, thanks. Um, so we've got another really good question from the audience. And it's, um, you know, what is the most pressing business problem you face near term? Uh, so let's start with Michael. Uh, um. There's. Do I have to answer this? <laughs> um, uh, there, there's a lot. Um, I mean, I, I can think of it's. It's just nuts and bolts uh, types of things that 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 have to be done. Um, there's you know managing other people, expanding office space, hiring, um, all these sorts of things that uh, that happen. Um, we're, we're, we're fortunate in that uh, demand for a product is not, is not our problem. Uh, we're, we're not having to twist people's arms. We, we, we don't really have any marketing 
you know, to speak of that, that, that we do besides our website. Um, so in that sense, you know, we're not, it's not that, you know, we need salespeople of, you know, knocking down doors and traveling to different institutions, signing them up. Uh, that, that really isn't the problem. It's just, uh, you know, sort of basic uh, operations. Um, it, it all depends on where where your where your business is at in terms of your your product develop, development and do you do you have customers are you, are, are you selling already um, if that's if if those things are so then then you have a whole different set of of, of management issues that um, you know that that need to be dealt with. Um, I guess uh, I always have uh, have to remind myself that I have to be patient. Uh, over the last five years, although we did a lot of work in terms of R&D, bringing the product, um, scaling up manufacturing, these are really big elements in our business. And, and really, I think it, it is coming from the experience. You have to have always plan B and C. Uh, when you have a customer, when you have a demand, if you want a way to build your manufacturing, you build your engineering uh, department, you, you build your technical staff, and, and then be able to respond to the customer, I think that's the wrong way of doing uh, business. You have to always think about alternatives and plan B, C, even D. Sometimes I, people have uh, um, coded me for that, that you always say, I have plan B for this uh, problem or, or I need to find another um, solution for this problem. Um, being patient um, uh, is, is number one uh, um, number one thing for me. I guess I'm losing my patience a little bit because I'm so excited about the technology that I want people to be aware of this. I like to spend as much as uh, time and money to make people understand. And just remember, clean tech you got to be patient with your investors. This is a learning curve for a lot of people. You have to um, uh, communicate your, your, your uh, business model in a very simple way so they understand. Um, as I said earlier, clean tech is, is, is truly a multidisciplinary uh, um, sector. Um, and you have to just uh, be patient with your investors and, and try to communicate your ideas and business models, with, not only with investors, with customers, um, you know, attend tra- trade shows, um, attend conference, technical conference. These are all little things that would help to grow your business. And be patient. That's, that's really um, all I can say for small businesses, to be patient and to use every little resource that you have to um, expand. And just don't wait for for that big uh, $10 million check to grow. I I would definitely echo the patience, and I'm developing our production equipment, and it's much harder, much slower than I guess I would have liked it to admit that it would be or thought it would be. But um, our next big, so we're definitely going to be a 2.0 and a 3.0 version as we go on with that. But our next big thing is uh, we're looking for our customers, our initial customers, to beta test our products, um, in, hopefully in the Mexico or Central America market, and really trying to find the initial people we can work with to, uh, to build some of these houses down there and, and um, go from there. So that's our next big step. I guess in order to answer this question, I kind of have to frame a little bit about the transit market to you. It kind of falls into two categories. There's the small fish, which are universities and um, private operators, you know, like Ryan's Limousine or whatever. And then there's the big fish, which is big transit municipalities, L.A. Metro being probably the biggest. Um, And we've had a lot of success with the little fish, and we we love the little fish. But um, the big fish game is a different story. Um, And... Uh, establishing credibility with that market is difficult. Um, you may you may come in at half the price and three times the features with with three proven references to a transit agency. But as one guy I know that sells into transit regularly told me that the, the transit guy is most interested in keeping his seat and he's only wants to buy IBM. So um, trying to break down those walls has been a challenge for us. Um, we're working on. I'd say that's the hardest part right now because we're, we're very interested in big transit. We think we're ready. We've done product development towards big transit, studied their market, um, understood how they're different from universities, but still just, just getting them to talk to you, uh, they don't talk to startups. So um, I'd say that's probably our biggest hurdle. Um, 
we work on this uh, business with passion because we think about it all day long from open, the moment we open our eyes until we go to bed. Anyhow, uh, we are kind of fortunate that we address a very big market, and so uh, everything is rolling pretty well right now. Um, uh, we Recently, we hired one of the best engineers in power conversion, and so we're actually a little bit ahead of our own schedule. And so we think that uh, we just keep moving along. The immediate challenge, well, um, immediate challenge for, for Neela at this point um, is twofold. It's uh, supply side, uh, getting our raw components in a timely fashion to turn them around in a fast enough manner for our customers, and then the sales cycle of our customers. We've got two different sales cycles. Um, we've got large institutions, uh, rental houses that buy our product, and they have annual budgets. And you need to make their annual, annual budget or you, you don't make it in. Um, then the flip side of that is the customer that goes, hey, we're ramping up production. We want to get 100 of your lights tomorrow. Uh, so that's sort of our biggest challenge is, is uh, um, you know, putting the carrot out there in, in front of the horse far enough away so the horse won't eat it. But <clears throat> so he'll also pull the you know cart along. So that's the sort of immediate problem we have. Great, thanks. Um, uh, can you talk about competition in your respective spaces and how you uh, try to distinguish yourself against competitors? Jim, you want to take that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we have uh, competitors on two levels. Uh, one are other LED manufacturers who are manufacturing fixtures for film and television. And we distinguish ourselves from them by having uh, more features, more light output uh, for a similar cost point. Uh, they're the easy guys because I don't actually consider other LED manufacturers as competitors because they're just helping validate the technology in the marketplace. The real competitor is the old entrenched, uh, old studio lighting fixtures, things that have been around since Ben-Hur are still working. And getting people to, to you know, buy new product and, and use new things. Uh, so that is a real uh, competition on that side. The, our biggest uh, benefit is that now every single studio has an environmental committee or uh, people that they've hired on to, to sort of help champion our cause. And they're great, but they don't have any budget to buy anything. Um, but they can help definitely get us uh, recognized and seen by a lot of people. So um, that sort of answered the question. Yes. Um, there are uh, something like 200 manufacturers of inverters, so we have plenty of uh, competition. However... Could you just explain to me what an inverter is? Okay. An inverter is a device that turns the output of a solar panel, of a collection of solar panel, into your household uh, alternative current, the 110 volt that you are familiar with. So that's what it does. It turns a direct current into a alternative current. Okay. Great, thanks. That, that being said, this is old technology. Um, it's been around as long as uh, Edison has uh, come up with his... Um, alternative uh, generating machine because, you know, he wins the business because of his uh, AC system and the other guys lost the business because he, he worked on, in D.C. and The name is Tesla. Anyhow, go back to business. So everywhere we have AC, so the market is big and therefore we have plenty of competition. Luckily, we have something that they don't and we do, in a nutshell, uh, the transformation, transformation from DC to AC in just one step versus our competitors doing that in two steps. So we have advantage in every aspect of the product. 
Uh, however, you know, they are very well-established company. You talk about big players like General Electric, uh, Siemens. Uh, they have multi-billion dollars. But we get there. <laughs> How many employees do you have? Uh, right, now, uh, right now, we have basically four employees. We have uh, two very talented engineers, uh, one super salesman and uh, one planner. <laughs> Jim, how many employees do you have? Full-time? Sure. F- full-time me. Uh, I'm, I'm the only one full-time, but uh, I have uh, a, a couple of uh, very strategic uh, engineers who uh, are on, uh, on that side, which most of that development's done. And... Um, our sales and marketing guy is actually embedded with our primary customer. So he's working both sides of the fence. And uh, we, we like that because they're paying his salary and we're benefiting from it. So mm. <laughs> That's interesting. Josh, how many um, at your company? Uh, we're three right now. Three. Okay. Uh, there's, there's me on the technical and kind of uh, all other things side. And then I have one guy in sales and then I have a, a guy that works with me for installations. Um, I would say on the competition front, um, I was very surprised when we started the business at how how little competition has to work to win business. Um, they they were they were getting large large you know million dollar contracts with with products that pretty consistently did not work. Um, and ever since we started the business, I I can't honestly say that I've seen a competitor change their product at all. I know that. Um, like for example, I'm sure everyone in this room, because almost everyone that I talk to asked me about Next, is familiar with Nextbus, which is uh, in San Francisco, Muni, and also in Emeryville, and they uh, they do arrival predictions, and they've been doing them for a long time, and they do them well. But as far as I know, that's all they do, um, and that seems to have done well for them. But what we've done to set ourselves apart is we've had a breakneck pace of innovation um, since day one. Um, at least once a week, I'm either on the phone or visiting at a customer site watching and asking what works and what doesn't. And then it's just feedback cycle after feedback cycle. And that's how I stumble upon things. You know, when I start to hear the same thing from four or five independent sources, that means it's time to build that. So that's where pass- that's where passenger counting came from. Um, I'd say passenger counting is probably in higher demand than vehicle location itself. Um, the transit operators are extremely interested in knowing um, who's riding, where they're getting on, where they're getting off, and, and looking at trends like that because that means dollars and cents for them as well as uh, approval ratings going up, which is their other metric. So I would say that staying a – we've been working on innovation as if the competition were clipping our heels the whole time, but we haven't seen the competitors take any steps to improve their products, um, and we've been able to catch up to them pretty quickly in terms of features. Can you say who some of your competitors are? Uh, well, Nextbus is a big one. We're, we, we bid against Nextbus almost every time we're dealing with the client. Um, there's a firm in New Zealand um, that does uh, vehicle tracking, and then there are different. I would say our our market is kind of interesting because there's different classes of competitors. It really depends on the university or the transit agency that you're dealing with in terms of who you're going to be competing against. Because if they're just looking for arrival predictions, Nextbus is going to be front and center you know, in, in another company or two. But if they're looking at, say, passenger counting, you might, be dealing, you might be dealing with competing with companies that do just passenger counting as well or some companies that, you know, have a hybrid of that. And then, you know, if you're dealing with a client that is especially low budget, they might think that, like, the Nextel phone system where you put a phone in your car is a competing product. And, you know, we usually just tell them, well, you should probably buy Nextel if you're, if you're looking at Nextel. Um, so it, it really depends on different factors that the clients, that the clients are looking for. But um, primary competitors, definitely Nextbus, the firm in New Zealand, and there's a startup on the East Coast as well. Okay, thanks. And uh, we've got two, uh, two employees and about a dozen uh, friends and family I beg, borrow, and steal time from, and they've been very supportive so far. And so been going with that. Um, our biggest competitor really is not – there's people with similar technologies to what we're doing, and, and I'm happy to see when they succeed. I blog about them if, they're, if they build an echo house somewhere or whatever. So I'm happy to see people with similar to green technologies being successful. Um, our biggest competitor really is just conventional construction and just people afraid to do something new that no matter how much make, makes sense, it's always safer to do what, what currently works. IBM. 
we have about five employees and, and two uh, additional consultants that are spending a lot of time with us. Um, uh, we are competing with um, chemical processes, physical processes, and biological processes. Um, in fact, we are competing with all conventional treatment, water treatments. Um, it's very, very intriguing for us that one of our biggest competitors came to us and said, let's do pilot study together. And if it's successful, we will convert all of our ion exchange to your system. The desire for the market for, no, for waste-free technologies is tremendous right now. You think we don't have a problem for removal of nitrate from water? Yes, we do. We have it for almost 100 years. We use ion exchange, and then we produce what we call it brine or secondary waste stream. And then we have to do something about that. We have to dispose it or incinerate it. People are tired of these unfit solutions. And when, it, when the biggest water provider of U.S. is asking us to replace their own ion exchange systems, then we know we are doing something right in the market. I want to just give you another example. Activated carbon has been around for more than 100 years. We use activated carbon to physically remove pollutants. But then what will happen to the pollutant? We concentrate it. We remove it from one environment, and then we dispose it somewhere else. In, in fact, we are just transferring it from one environment to another environment. And I think that's really the heart of the issue with clean water solutions. We have a big problem with conventional water treatments, and we have to change the industry to think about the end results of whatever strategy you take in the water industry. What is the end product of your solution? If you focus on the end product, then you think about sustainability. Then you think about the water resources. Then you think about the managing and, and preserving your environmental resources. Why is it that we have trillions of gallons of groundwater polluted with common pollutants, percolate, nitrate, MTBE, because the practices we took in the industry, we, we just simply washed our equipment, disposed the, the, the wastewater to the groundwater. And we never thought, we thought it's, it's, it's out of sight, it's, it's not there anymore. Now, as a nation, 70% of our drinking water comes from groundwater. Now, we are dealing with um, very, very extensive pollution in groundwater, in surface water. As I mentioned, trillions of gallons of wastewater are being discharged without treatment. Really, um, our competition is conventional treatment. We want to change the industry to think about smarter way to deal with the pollutants in water. Um, and I think we are getting a lot of traction because the way we are thinking, and our logo is waste-free technologies. This is, this is the end results of our projects, our, our technologies, and we are focusing on that. And how many employees? Uh, we have five that? employees and we have two consultants. Okay. And we have also seven um, uh, business and scientific advisory board that we constantly um, get advices as where this company is going to go, what is the next big, big thing. Um, as I mentioned earlier, nothing that when we started Microbiotech in 2004, we never thought we were going to spend our own money for energy. We are exploring the use of our technology for higher production of ethanol, something that we, it's not even in our business plan. So every resource, every, in terms of advisory board, in terms of scientific board, these people are giving us feedback and input from the industry. And we are listening, and we are taking every step to make sure that we are exploring all possible applications of our technology. We just, uh, it was about a week ago we received Canadian patent. 
And I always want to say to small companies, protect your technology from the beginning. Obtain patents. Uh, continue expanding your IP portfolio. Um, and, and, and be your, your own boss in, in terms of technology innovation. And try to license uh, technologies that would complement your technology. And really think about total solutions rather than just be one small segment of a, a, a solution. Uh, so Lucid uh, has six, we have six people working with us. Uh, as far as competition, uh, if you can imagine a, uh, our product is called Building Dashboard. So imagine you have uh, a website or, or a touchscreen display in a building like this uh, downtown San Francisco uh, that shows you energy consumption from the lights up here and heating and cooling equipment and plug loads and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and who could create something similar to that? Who, who would be the competitors in, in the space of providing resource use information? Uh, it, it turns out that there, there are many people who, who can do it, uh, but we're, we're fortunate because our, our audience is, uh, is the average building occupant. It's not the facility manager. So you might find a, a wide range of products that are available for facility management, facility operations uh, that, that do energy management and, and so forth. And that's, um, that, that's really its own field, and, and we're very distinct from that. Uh, there are two areas of, of competition, uh, again, thinking about who could provide a, a dashboard a technology, uh, tracking your use of, of resources, water, natural gas, electricity, steam, and, and so on. And uh, they, they fall into two camps, and one would be uh, the maker of individual devices for uh, of metering, metering. So, for example, uh, we all of the employees of Lucid, we have these devices called a kilowatt, which uh, you plug an appliance into it, and it will show you how many watts uh, it's, it's drawing at, at any moment. And, and we, we play around with that a lot, and it's, it's interesting, interesting to see what your refrigerator uses versus your you know, other devices in the home. Uh, and, that, and that's one source of information. Uh, are those companies going to create a web-based products? Uh, probably not. Uh, the second area of, of competition comes from the uh, larger, much more established uh, vendors of building automation and uh, energy management equipment. And these are companies, the so-called big three automation companies uh, that, that in this building probably create, uh, that they, they probably have the, the products that, uh, that run the heating and cooling systems in this building and, and perhaps there's some sort of uh, rudimentary energy management. And those companies are Siemens, Johnson Controls, and Honeywell. Uh, obviously, you know, big names that, that we've all heard of. And they, again, their, their audience is uh, products for facility managers, and that's, and that's how it gets sold. So uh, they, they, are, they are potential uh, competition for us, but uh, the thing that we have going for them that, that they don't is that uh, those companies might be interested in creating a dashboard, but really only to integrate with their own product. Siemens has no interest in, in uh, connecting to an electric meter on another part of one of their customers' campuses that's, that's using a Johnson system. Uh, why, why would they do that? Um, Honeywell, um, you know, they have no interest in supporting any other uh, devices that, that they don't themselves sell. Um, so it, we're independent. We're product neutral in that sense. We're not making electric meters, water meters. We leave that to someone else. It's a commodity. Uh, they will come and go. We support connections with as, as many of them as we can. Um, but uh, you know, if, if there were to be any competition for us, I think it would be another independent company that, that isn't coming out of one of the big three automation, uh, automation companies. Great, thanks. And before my last question, I'm just going to say that we'd like to remind our listening audience that this is a program with the Commonwealth Club of California, and you are listening to a panel of the 2007 California Clean Tech Open winners. Okay, so the last question I have is about regulation. Um, um, and one uh, person in the audience asks, with the uncertainty of U.S. energy regulation and the soon-to-expire renewable incentives, are you pursuing more stable markets overseas? Uh, solar, especially, is in a precarious legislative position. So, 
yeah, if you want to go first, that's fine. So here I am talking about it. Uh, our first market will be Mexico and Brazil, but not the U.S. Uh, we plan to introduce our uh, inverters in the U.S. only in about a year, but we plan to sell in Brazil and Mexico in about six months because of all the regulations and uh, in those countries, the need is more severe because they, they are just very happy to have some power. Now, over here, we have very cheap energy and also very good distribution, so the need is not there. In underdeveloping or in developing countries, they want the power. They need the power, and our distributor, they know that kind of need, and they jump on the, 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 the relationship with us. So anyone else on um, regulatory issues that you face? Not so much with, with solar, but I was just going to add that we have the same problem with building materials in the United States, and it's a very slow, arduous process, expensive process, to get your building approval materials approved uh, so the building officials can kind of wash their hands of liability if, if anything happens. So uh, for us, we're not even focusing on the U.S. for any, any time in the near future and really focusing on Mexico and, and other countries. We have sort of the opposite effect at NILA. Um, we benefit from the European Union right now. There's the uh, Rojas Directive, uh, Restriction on Certain Hazardous Substances. It basically states that in any electrical item that you sell in Europe, you can't have any mercury, lead, or cadmium, and a couple other uh, toxic heavy metals. And so they've pretty much been able to eliminate it from anybody's supply chain. It's a huge benefit to us because there's two exemptions in the Rojas Directive for mercury in sodium vapor and mercury vapor-based lights and mercury in fluorescence. They're exempt. Once the European Union is now reviewing those exemptions to see if it's worthwhile to uh, eliminate them, if they think that it's uh, worthwhile to eliminate them, no one in the world will, world will make a mercury vapor-based light if they can't sell it in Europe. Right? It eliminates that too big of a market. It's done that so every single computer that's sold worldwide is Rojas compliant right now. Any electrical you know, cell phone you buy here meets the European standard. So Europe, basically with the one directive, has been able to dictate electrical devices. We like the fact that it's Rojas, uh, that we can be Rojas compliant. We are Rojas compliant right now. Um, there's no mercury or lead components in our product. And that gives us an advantage uh, in Europe especially but it also gives us an advantage here because there's an issue with mercury vapor-based lights that are used in, in film and television. They're known as uh, HMIs. The studios have to pay for the hazardous waste disposal of those because of the level of mercury inside them. And so when Europe says no more HMI lights, no one in the U.S. is going to be able to buy them, and that will help us out. So I think on the, the regulatory side, worldwide things that happen uh, – can really have a bigger effect on U.S. markets than, than most people realize. I'd say that um, I kind of have to echo a little bit of what both of them said, that regulatory, regulatory concerns both help and hurt us. And on the help side, um, public transit's on the up. People want more of it. Federal transit funding is uh, substantial. So you'll have uh, agencies that will, that will be bidding out with a, for a much more than they could possibly spend in-house, but they're backed by the federal government. Now, the flip side of that is that the procurement process becomes very, very painful. <laughs> um, dealing, with, dealing with federal money adds a whole bunch of um, requirements. Uh, the process becomes, the sales cycle pretty much uh, multiplies substantially. Uh, like, for example, because, and this kind of touches on the earlier when we were discussing a uh, pressing business issues, I'd have to say that our widely varying sales cycle um, also also is a concern. So when we're dealing with, say, a private university, like we have the University of Miami, they can go from first contact to full deployment in a month and a half. Um, and that's typically about how long it takes the transit people to decide that they want the product when they look at our product. But then you have to deal with the purchasing department, and the purchasing department has federal bid requirements. And it's not that we necessarily have a problem with RFPs, but RFPs take literally years uh, when you're dealing with some government agencies. They'll, they'll take six, nine months. You know, even, even schools like UCLA has, 
been at it with an RFP for over a year now. So um, we're the the RFP cycle really uh, hinders our our sales cycle a lot. Um, but the federal transit funding obviously helps helps because there's more demand for the product. Anyone else? Well, thank you very much. Um, you all did a great job.